Good morning. Pastor Bailey is away. He's up in Michigan, the west side of Michigan, preaching at a church up there. And so if you have opportunity, he'll be preaching there and preaching to some church leaders in the next few days. Please pray for him as he's doing that work. Um, As Lucas said and as Wayne said, we are in a capital campaign because we're raising money to build a building. And so if you're here as our guest this morning, uh, we're glad we're having a capital campaign. It's easy for us to think that's an awkward thing to tell guests when they're here. But you know what? God has done wonderful things for us. And he's blessed us in incredible ways. And we're glad to be able to tell you that he's done that. And we're glad to be able to invite you to be with us as we go through this capital campaign and see what God will yet do in future days. So just understand that uh, for the next few weeks, the sermons are going to be about how God takes care of us. And on November 10th, there's going to be a commitment Sunday where we'll have our regular offerings, as Lucas talked about the fact that we have regular offerings for the general fund of the church. We'll have our regular offering like we do every Sunday. And then on that day, we'll also have another offering. And that will be the pledge offering. And we haven't figured out how it will process on that day yet. But in some way, we will come and we will give our pledges, we will give our offerings connected to the capital campaign. On that Sunday, November 10th, there will only be one service. Sunday school will happen as normal, then there will be one worship service, just so you can be ready for that. But that's a little ways away yet. And you want to be praying and asking God what you can do and asking him to give you faith. This morning, let's look at Psalm chapter 8. We sang a selection, a song based on this psalm at the beginning of the service. And so read with me, if you will. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess to you this morning that your name is majestic in all the earth. If we were to attempt to deny it, It would still be true. Your creation would scream it. And Lord, if we would not confess you, the rocks would have to cry out and confess you. And so this morning, we ask that you will show us this truth, that you will show us yourself and your character, that you will teach us how we fall short of it, that you will improve us by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine King David 
at that time a shepherd, perhaps out in the field at night, and he's watching the sheep. And at that time, as David is under the night sky in Palestine three, three millennia ago, how much light pollution was there? Have you been out looking at the night sky here in Bloomington? And Bloomington isn't a, a bustling metropolis, but there's a lot of light pollution. When I stand at my house, I look over this way, and there's this kind of reddish, depending on the other kind of air contaminants there might be on a given night, but there's a reddish sky, probably just water vapor, but it's the street lights and the lights of the city shining, and I can't see the stars very well. But David wasn't standing in that kind of world. There was perhaps a fire there was probably the sound of animals, maybe even wild animals. We've been hearing the coyotes outside of our house the last couple of nights. They love the ambulances when they come by. It sets all the little coyotes off, and they start screaming. David probably heard wild animals. He maybe had a fire. He might have heard the sheep rustling out there, the wind in the trees. But when he looked up at the sky, when he looked up to see the stars, there wasn't anything obscuring what he was seeing. And if you've gone to a place uh, where there is very little light pollution, you'll have seen something like this, a sky that's just amazing to see because it's not dimmed by the things around it. The sky was brilliant with the light of the stars. And there David, with the Holy Spirit, considered God's creation, and his conclusion was... God is not like me. I'm not like God. He's different than I am. He's above me. Look at this. When compared with God's other works, I seem so insignificant that I wonder that he, cons he considers my entire genus, all of man, that he even considers us. And he looks and he worships. How majestic. When I look in the heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him or that you consider him? David was primitive, though, wasn't he? Wasn't he primitive? It's probably his knuckles pretty near touched the ground. You know, wasn't David so primitive? I mean, we've made such advances in illumination since then, haven't we? And so we don't need to be worried about stars anymore. We have, we have all these advances in our ability to see and to deal with light and to deal with the night, to deal with the darkness. We don't have to consider his stars. But I want you for a moment this morning with me to consider the stars. And we're going to do that by laying a little bit of, a little bit of scientific work. And I'm not much of a scientist. But I want you to follow me with this just for a minute, okay? Just a progression. We're going to start with a measure of energy. We're going to start with a ton of TNT. A ton of TNT. A ton of TNT is a unit of energy equal to 4.184 gigajoules, which is approximately the amount of energy released in the detonation of one metric ton of TNT, which is 2,204 pounds. Are you with me so far? 
a ton of TNT, 2,204 pounds, which is, you know, a little heavier than Stephen's Suburban. You still have that thing? Okay. It's a, it's a lot of TNT. You wouldn't want it to be sitting on your chest, especially when it exploded. And so that's a, ton, a metric ton of TNT. Well, what is a megaton of TNT? Well, we're all, we know all about mega these days, right? Because we have megabytes, right? That's almost passe now, megabytes. That's all you have is megabytes? A megaton of TNT is 4.184 gigajoules, a metric ton of TNT, times 10 to the 15th power. That's one megaton of TNT, right? A ton, a metric ton of TNT times 10 to the 15th power. You guys remember what 15th power means in math? It makes it a whole lot bigger, right? All right. I'm not going to try to explain that to you this morning, for which you'll be thankful. The blast of Mount St. Helens released the energy equal to 24 megatons of TNT. 24, 4.184 gigajoules times 10 to the 15th power blew the top off of, the, of Mount St. Helens. Right? That's a lot. That's a lot. One solar flare from our sun can release a burst of energy 10 million times greater than the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Have you all ever seen the Earth superimposed over a solar flare for actual size and to know they're bigger than the Earth? The Earth's just like a little dot there, right? One solar flare... 10 million times greater than the eruption of Mount St. Helens. One solar flare, however, is less than one-tenth of the total energy emitted by the sun every second. Right? You feeling smaller? How does our sun compare with the sizes of other stars that we think we know the size of? Well, if the projector screen behind me here had a picture of a, of a star that pretty much filled the whole screen, and it was a star that we think is about the biggest star that we think we know the size of, of all the stars that we've studied, our sun would represent about one pixel in size of a medium resolution picture of that star on that screen. Does that give you more smallness to feel? All right. Let's skip the number of stars in our galaxy and, and go right to looking at other galaxies. They use the Hubble telescope to take a peek at one tiny part of deep space. And many of you have seen this, bef uh, seen this uh, before. And uh, somebody told me this morning after the first service that they actually tried to pick a part of space that they didn't see any light from. They were actually looking at a part of space that they never saw anything in before. A dark spot, as it were. 
and they called this the ultra-deep field. They used 400 orbits of the telescope to perform it. They took two pictures per orbit of the exact tiny space, same piece of space out there. The shutter was open for a total of 11 days. So you can imagine having the shutter open for 11 days in that one spot of time, how light would trickle in. Very small bits of light would trickle in. And so what? Let's turn the lights off. Somebody's there. Nobody's there. There they are. This is the picture that they found. If you see this picture, you see this little, this little star in the middle here with the cross across it? Do you guys see that, the little light with the... Is that resolved enough for you to see? If it has a little cross on it like that one or the one down at the bottom here, that means it's a nearby star. But everything else you see in that picture is a galaxy. Everything else is a galaxy. You feeling smaller yet? Everything else. You see this, the shape of them, the twirls of them? They think there are 10,000 visible galaxies in this picture based on the study that they did. 10,000 of them. If you take, if you want to understand how much of your sky that represents, if you, you see these gray poles that are holding up the curtains, the lovely curtains over here? These gray poles, they're about eight feet tall. If you had a drinking straw that tall, and you held the drinking straw up into the night sky, and you looked through this end, and you saw the little circle that was at the other end of the eight-foot drinking straw, that's about how much of the night sky that represents. Okay? Feeling small yet? Thank you. You can turn those lights on again. What would David the king say if he were to view the Hubble ultra-deep field? What would he say? What would he say? I know what he would say. I'm not God. He would say, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? We don't bother considering the stars anymore because we've evolved, we've progressed. We've gotten beyond seeing creation as an indicator of God and who he is. We've developed LEDs. We have science. This reminds me of a story that uh, Rudyard Kipling tells. The story, it's a short story about, it's, it's uh, apocryphal, okay? It's about Solomon, the son of David, but it's apocryphal. This isn't scripture, all right? But in this short story, it's called The Butterfly That Stamped. Stamped. He didn't say stomped. That's what we would say. He said stamped. The Butterfly That Stamped. And in the short story, there's an aside. There's a little outtake 
where he's talking about Solomon. And he says, Solomon, the son of David, was not proud. He very seldom showed off. And when he did, he was sorry for it. Once he tried to feed all the animals in the world in one day. But when the food was ready, an animal came up out of the deep sea and ate it up in three mouthfuls. Solomon, son of David, was very surprised. And he said, O animal, who are you? And the animal said, O king, live forever. I am the smallest of 30,000 brothers, and our home is at the bottom of the sea. We heard that you were going to feed all the animals in all the world, and my brothers sent me to ask when dinner would be ready. Solomon, son of David, was more surprised than ever and said, O animal, you have eaten all the dinner that I made ready for all the animals in the world. And the animal said, O king, live forever, but do you really call that dinner? Where I come from, we each eat twice as much as that between meals. Then Solomon, son of David, fell flat on his face and was humbled. Right? It's an incredible story to illustrate who we are. We think that God is like us. We think that we can deny him, that we can ignore him. And we find everywhere we look that he's already there ahead of us. We grow and progress only to find that God is the keeper of the exponents to the tenth powers. He keeps them. They belong to him. They're his purview. We gamble and raise our eyes to a level of five. And God says, I'll see your five and raise you eight to the thirty-second. God is prolific. He is extravagant to an extent that we would find profligate or decadent. We would look at what God does. We look at what God does and then we say, why? Why? Isn't that wasteful? Why would he do all that? Well, the scripture tells us to show his enemies who he is. To cause us to give him glory. Because he likes it. He is beyond our generosity in all categories. All of them. We're not just stingy. I don't know, Philip talked about being stingy. Didn't he, Philip? Said something about stingy. We're not just stingy compared to God. We actually are a draw, a drain. And God is prolific and generous. And when we look at the stars and don't immediately think of him, we're wicked. We're wicked. But this is how extravagant God has been before us in our sight, with the world, with his creation. How extravagant has he been for us? Personally. Well, the scripture says in Romans that he didn't even withhold his own son from us. He was willing to give his son for us. That he loved us, the scripture says, while we were yet sinners. If God, who is willing to give his own son for us, 
If he's willing to give his own son for us, would he not with his son give us all things? That's what it says in Romans. He has been extravagant before us, and he's been extravagant for us with his son. He's been extravagant for us in his provision. This morning it rained. It hasn't rained in a few days. And it was just, you know, it, it was just pouring down in the first service on the roof. It sounded like a New Age record, you know. His background to the whole thing. That's terrible, isn't it? It was just pouring down on us. And what is God but generous to the just and the unjust? That's what it says in Matthew 5. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Well, that's just like what we would do, isn't it? That's us all over the place. First thing we would do. Somebody does something wicked to us, why, we'd go get them a a gift basket. First thing we'd do. But God, who has the right, every right, to take his mighty hand and, and wipe us off. Gives us rain. Causes the crops to grow. Gives us the sunshine. Because he's, he loves us. Because he's extravagant. Because he's prolific. And he does way more than we need. Over and over and over again. In Psalm 50, the psalmist is writing and he's talking about God. And he's talking about how God summons the heavens and and the earth to judge his people. And he says, the heavens declare his righteousness. And that God himself is judge. And he goes on and he says, I take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine. Every beast. Every critter. Down to the mites. To the grasshoppers. To the rabbits. Turkeys. Deer. Every beast of the forest belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills. Now, that, does that just mean there are a thousand exact hills that God owns the cattle on? No. He owns all of them. They all belong to him. Every, every cow belongs to God. All Mike Bull's cows belong to God. And Mike should share, so let's all get some this afternoon. (laughs) God owns it all. And what does he say? He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. I'm not you. I don't need you. He says, offer to me a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. But to the wicked God says, what right of you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. 
When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Let's have that. These things you have done, and I kept silence. And now what? One of the most amazing statements in Scripture. You thought that I was just like you. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces and there will be none to to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. You thought I was just like you. You thought I was just like you. Why did he keep silent? He says, I kept silent, and you thought I was just like you. Why did he keep silent? What, what, how was he silent? Well, for one thing, they were sinning, and he didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. And so what did they think? He was just like them. And meaning what? That he didn't know, that he didn't care, that he was powerless. They may have thought any of those things about God at that moment. You thought I was just like you. But what was true of God in that moment was also true in Ezekiel's day when the elders were secretly serving idols and worshiping idols, and they said, God does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. You thought I was just like you. You thought I couldn't see. You thought I didn't care. You thought I was powerless. But you see, the reality is that God was demonstrating once again his extravagance through keeping silent. How is that? How is he demonstrating his extravagance? How? In 2 Peter it says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He was extravagant toward those that the psalmist writes about because he didn't wipe them off the face of the earth. He waited to see if they would come to repentance. They thought he was just like them. Thank God, God is not like us. Thank God, he is slow in his way which is patient, long-suffering, and loving-kindness, not desiring for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. How often has God demonstrated his patience with you? If you don't know, you're blind. We think... He's just like us. So we worry. Matthew chapter 6 says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? 
Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I can say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field in his extravagance, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Ah, but Max, things are different now. Now we have global warming, a.k.a. weather. God doesn't understand about carbon footprints. I thought of something really twisted in preparing for this. I thought about the poem footprints, and I thought, you know the poem footprints? And I thought, sometimes I noticed that there were two carbon footprints in the sand. That's, that's a real Nathan Alberson moment, just so you know. God doesn't know about the population explosion. He doesn't know. How could God, who made the world by speaking it into existence with his mouth, know about carbon? How could God, who said, be fruitful and multiply, know about children? How could God know about the need for food? He who supplies the birds of the air with everything they need to eat. I read a news story on Friday of this meteorologist who went to a climate conference, and he's, afterwards he's come off, and he's now, this poor guy, he's in despair. He tweeted all his friends, and he said, you know, I'm, this is my last plane flight. I'm never going to fly on a plane again. And then he tweeted everybody and said, I'm getting a vasectomy. We're never having any children. He said, uh, I'm going extinct. And I thought, this guy, he is, he is living a life of despair. He gets neither God nor the world. He is so deceived. He gets nothing. He'll get no children. He can't even enjoy living the good life in self, uh, uh, self-absorption, you know, decadence. He can't enjoy anything if he's going to be true to his statement. But that's who, we, that's who we are. We think we're like God, or we think he's like us. We think that everything is under our control, and we think that we're going to die. It's going to end. Where will we get food? Where will we get clothing? Where will we be housed? And people, it isn't a new thought. People were thinking this when David was out in the field looking at the stars. People were thinking this when Jesus walked through the streets. People were thinking this 200 years ago. People are thinking this today. People will think this tomorrow until the day God puts an end to all of it. This is how Gentiles will think. 
And if I start addressing this with arguments against the, the sky is falling uh, things, developments in energy, trends in agriculture, uh, which are all very interesting to me, let me tell you. If you sit and talk to me in my office or you come over to my house, I'm glad to talk to you about aquaponics and all kinds of things. But it's, it's baloney for us to go there because we miss the point completely. The point is God is prolific. He is extravagant to an extent that we would find profligate or decadent. He is beyond our generosity in all categories. You need to teach this to your children. Your children need to know who God is. They need to learn extravagance. They need to learn how to feast. They need to learn how to party. They need to learn how to dance. They need to learn how to sing and clap and rejoice and have joy and have hope because that is the response of faith to God. Teach your children. You don't teach them by proving that aquaponics is the answer to. You teach them that God is the answer to. Always has been and always will be. That he holds the power over the exponents. We're wicked when we look at the stars and do not immediately think of him. We're wicked when we despair of his ability and willingness to feed, clothe, and house us. But he is not just like us. He is not just like us. Psalm 145, and I will bless your name. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another. There's going to be another And shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Philip and Amy this morning uttering the memory of God's abundant goodness. Right? The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations." The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him. And all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the psalm, the prayer, the confession of faith. 
okay, what does this have to do with the capital campaign? God is not just like us. But God intends that we will be just like Him. Prolific. Extravagant to an extent that to the world we would seem profligate or decadent. Do you know what most Gentiles would think if they knew that you tithe to the church? Wouldn't they think, that's decadent or stupid? And if any of you haven't learned what God does when we trust him with our money, you've got a good lesson, a joyful lesson, a wonderful lesson before you. Trust God with your money. Learn to give extravagant. Learn to give extravagantly. He's not kidding when he says you can test him in it. He's not kidding at all. You know, they didn't make the connection real strong, but remember what Philip said. We never tithed until we came here. You know what else didn't happen until they came here? All the other stuff that he was talking about that was so bad. Now you, you say, well, you're saying that it's because he tithed that all that stuff happened? And I'm saying, Yeah. Probably in some way, yeah. It's all part and parcel, you understand? It's not like you flesh this part out and that part out and this did this and that did that and this did this. They had faith. And God blessed them with it. He intends that we be just like him. Generous in all categories, especially with forgiveness. Especially with forgiveness. Has God been generous to you with forgiveness? Day after day after day after day? Would you think that you could possibly be generous toward others with forgiveness based on what God has done for you? He has this huge deposit of forgiveness that Christ acquired, that he laid up. And it's all for us to access For ourselves, for everybody else. When we need forgiveness, we go to God and forgive. When somebody needs our forgiveness, we go to God and give it to them. It's his, isn't it? Especially with forgiveness, but also with food, with clothing, with shelter, with money. Our neighbors should look at him and immediately, I'm sorry, our neighbors should look at us and immediately think of God. They should think of God just like when they look at the stars in the heavens. They should think, we see their good works. God must be true. We will give glory to him. That's what the scripture says. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And this is what happens when our character, when we start to become like God. This is what will happen. You know, we had the banquet on Friday night, and it was interesting because it wasn't the intention. The banquet had a lot of intentions, you know. We had a lot of things we wanted to do. But as I was going through the sermon, I thought, you know what? The banquet had had an extra uh, bonus in that it was a demonstration of extravagance. 
If you were there, we weren't eating fried Spam, were we? We didn't eat fried Spam. We didn't have, uh, uh, we didn't have Little Debbie uh, Swiss rolls for dessert, right? What we had was uh, we had uh, 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 chocolate pate, which, of course, means that they take the cocoa bean and they open it up and they get the liver out. And I want you to think that, I want you to think of it that extravagantly. You understand? Chocolate pate. I, it ain't right. I know it ain't right. Chocolate pate. This isn't right. But wasn't it good? Wasn't it extravagant? Little raspberries, little drizzles of sauce, and, and you know, that little piece of poison ivy leaf that was sitting on top. <laughs> And so what did we have but an extravagance? And isn't God the creator of extravagance? And isn't he the one that, 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 that uh, demanded festivals and banquets and celebrations? And so we should. And so we should. And so this capital campaign is like a festival. It's, a, it's an extravagance. And so prepare yourselves. Pray. Say, God, you're not like me, but I want to be like you, and I want to be extravagant in my forgiveness and the generosity with my food and the generosity with my house in the generosity with my belongings in the generosity with money because it's the most worthless of all those things. Lord, let me be faithful with that and ask him to lead you in what you'll do, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have demonstrated extravagance to us, most particularly that you have given us your Son. And we will spend all eternity marveling at that. There will never be an end. We'll never be able to finally search it out and figure it out it will be an eternity of looking into the love of God and finding that there's no end to it. Oh, Lord, thank you. Lord, allow that we can be like you. Give us your spirit and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.